0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, good morning, Dublin Bible Church. How are we doing? Great. That was pretty good. Y'all, uh, we need to have the kids up here more often. Y'all seem more awake. So that's good. Well, uh, Chad alluded to this uh, a little bit earlier. We are doing a little fruit basket turnover stuff. People who are over here are over here, and people who are over here are over here, and so... It's kind of like a game of volleyball where everybody just kind of shifts and moves around. So welcome to Dublin Bible Church, never the same church twice. <laughs> but uh, for, for those of y'all who, um, if you're new here, you, you, might, uh, you might know that n- normally what I'm going to be doing, I will be working, uh, I am part of the worship team, but I'm also uh, the student pastor. And so uh, that's one of the things that, that I do here. Um, but you might not know about me is that I actually got my start in children's ministry. Um, was, uh, was a part of, uh, part of a children's ministry at a church for, for several years and, um, and had a, had a ball there and we would do some things during the summer. Um, we would kind of get the kids out of the house and that sort of thing. Uh, the parents loved it because the kids weren't, you know, just, Hey, I wonder if I can put a hole in that wall or that one or both of those. And so, uh, it helped things out. But so we, um, we decided to take the kids to the world of Coca-Cola and, and it was really fun. Um you get to learn about like the history of coke and uh that's not as fun for like you know third graders because you take them to something and you mention the word history and all of a sudden they get into its school mode and they and they're doing that little number but then at the end that's what every uh it's what everybody calls the coca-cola room right have you ever been to the world of coca-cola and let me see some hands okay we got a smattering of, of coca-cola fans here so what you do is you go into uh, what we call the coca-cola room Right, and so you get to like put your cup down, and they shoot like little streams of water out and stuff like that, and then it turns into Coca Cola, and it, it's it's awesome. You just kind of stand there and you put a cup down, and Coca Cola magically appears. Right, for some of us, that's like our functional definition of heaven. And so um, we've got about thirty kids from uh, from kindergarten up through fifth grade. No, I wasn't thinking about this beforehand, but we brought them to the World of Coca Cola, and they could pay one price, and have all the Coca-Cola from around the world that they wanted. And I was an idiot for doing that. <laughs> but we did it. Um, and, so, uh, and so the kids got done, and so they're all hyped up on Coca-Cola. And I, then I did start thinking, and I started thinking, okay, wait a second. I'm not going to put these kids into a 15-passenger van and drive 45 minutes back into, you know, back home and expect anything good to happen. So, so we uh, we knew we had some time to kill, and we knew we had some energy to burn off. So, um, where where we went to the World of Coca Cola? Right across the street was uh, Underground Atlanta, and that's another little Atlanta landmark. Uh, and if you haven't been there, awesome, good, keep the keep the record alive, okay? <laughs> but Underground Atlanta, it's kind of cool. There's um, there's some interesting things to it. If you've never been there, it's almost the way it was when we went there, it was almost like a mall underground, and so you had all these little, like, little shop storefronts and that sort of thing, and um, and so we were going to go walking around that. There was a place where you could, you know, eat if you wanted to eat. Um, uh, there was a place where you could get some drinks if you wanted that. Luckily, we just had plenty, <laughs> so we didn't eat more. but so we, uh, so we were just going to go around there and walk around with the kids, like I said, get the jitters out before I strap them into a, a van and expect them to not nut up the entire way home. So we're walking around and uh, what, what we did is, we had 30 kids and we had about mm, six adults. And um, when you get that many kids together and then you pump that much caffeine into the mix, it's about like trying to herd squirrels, okay? Because they're just jumping all over the place. And so we said, okay, let's separate these little groups. And we're going to go over this way, and y'all just kind of look around and take about an hour. Let's kind of do some walking around, and then we'll get back in the van and we'll go home. Seemed like a good idea. So I take a group of kids, and uh, we're going into this one store. And it just looks a little sketchy to begin with, but I'm like, you know, the point is to walk around. So we're we're going to walk around, and this is the one, this is the store that they kind of were pointed at. So sounds fun. So um, they walk in, and we're kind of looking at stuff. And it's just, you know, there's a lot of like little touristy memorabilia stuff. You know, I was in Atlanta and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, I, I kind of grew up near there, so I'm not going to buy that. But, um, but this uh, one kid comes up to me and he says, Mr. Jared, Mr. Jared, this is so cool. And he holds up like a polo. Like it has a little guy go- uh, on horseback and everything. And he says, Mr. Jared, they have polos on sale here. I was like, that's cool. He said, yeah, they're like five bucks. And this little red flag went up in the back of my mind because I don't know if you bought a polo, but the ones I bought are never five bucks. There's generally a large number in front of that five, right? And so, and so I was thinking, for five bucks, he said, yeah, I'm going to buy like four. My dad loves these. And I said, uh, easy there, Skippy. Why don't you save your money for something else? I, something just doesn't feel right about this. And so he was like, okay. So he just goes bouncing off in another direction. Well, I'm kind of a movie guy, so I see this little carousel of, of DVDs there, right? A little DVD uh, stand. And so I go up to it, and I'm just kind of looking through. And things start looking a little, they go from shady to downright sketchy, okay? Because, <coughs> because I see this DVD stand, and like the outside, the little slip cover that goes in there that tells you this is what the movie is, you can tell it's been printed on like an inkjet. And I'm like, that's interesting that you're selling that. Um, but the real big tip-off didn't occur until I looked at the DVD itself, and I thought, wait a second, that movie just came out in the theater two weeks ago. <laughs> I was like, you guys are selling like straight-up bootlegging here, aren't you? Okay, let's go. And so that's exactly what we did. I didn't, I didn't exactly want to be in the newspapers for local kids pastor takes kids to, you know, <laughs> the scene of where the sting operation was apparently. I'll take these polos and uh, these movies, and uh, then I'll be out of here, you know. That would not be good. But so, uh, so we got out of there as fast as we could, because nobody likes getting, getting fooled by bootleg, do we? We don't like bootleg stuff. We don't like counterfeit stuff. When I buy something, when I spend time, and when I spend money on it, I want to know that it's the, the genuine article, right? And it's ironic then that, that, we're, we're that we're that picky about the stuff that we buy that's just stuff. But there's this bootleg, there's this counterfeit faith that can work its way into the church. And the thing is, is that uh, you've all seen, you've all seen that this, how, how this can happen and what can kind of go down when people stop being the church. People just start going to church. And we'll, we'll sit down and we'll kind of, we'll, we'll sing along and we'll listen to what the speaker's saying. And then we'll get up and we'll go home and, and that's it. We've kind of checked off our Jesus you know, slot for the week and, and we're done with it. And we all, we all see what that looks like. And the thing is, the sad thing is, is that if this is left unchecked, the church will atrophy. The church will decline. It will lose its place of prominence in the, in the community. It won't be a lighthouse anymore. It won't be a, a hospital for, for people who are hurting and people who are broken. And if it's left unchecked and if you don't stop it, then eventually the church will die and it will close up its doors. If you don't believe me, check the statistics. It happens thousands of times a year. In fact, it's happening so much that with the churches that are closing, it's outnumbering the churches that are being planted. That's kind of scary because we believe that the church is the caretaker and is the steward of the gospel. And we believe that the gospel can change the world when it is truly lived out. But this, this problem, this counterfeit faith, it's nothing new. In fact, it's been going on for, for thousands of years. James was, uh, James was so disturbed by this that when he wrote his book to the churches, or when he wrote a letter, rather, to the churches, that he addressed this topic quite a bit for, for a better part of the letter. And, and he wasn't exactly what you'd call gentle or kind about it. So that's where we're going to be this morning. If you got your Bibles, turn in them to James chapter 2. If you're having trouble finding James, it's right after the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, that's awesome. There might be some Bibles kind of scattered about, uh, scattered about up, under the, up under the chairs. But James has got to be right after the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a big book in the New Testament. And so we're going to dive right in here. So you see what we're, uh, what we're going to be reading up here. James chapter 2 verses 14 through 24. <clears throat> and James starts it off and he says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now, if you read the book of James and if you, un- if you read it in the context that he's, that he's saying this in, you'll understand this is a rhetorical question. He's not really saying, can that faith save him? The, the resounding answer that the book of James is going to say is that, No. That faith can't save him because it's not genuine faith. It's a bootleg. It's a counterfeit. It's a fake. And he says, suppose a brother or sister, picking up in verse 10, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but knows nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And this is an excellent example of how our faith can be fleshed out. He, he's, he's giving what seems to be an example of, let's say the, that somebody, a brother or sister, they're broke, they don't have any food, they don't have you know warm clothes to put on their back. He says, if you guys go up to him and say, man, that, that's too bad. I sure do hope things turn out better for you and you give him a pat on the back, and you give him an attaboy, and then you just walk on your way. James says that's useless. And we think that this is an example, but actually this is, this is an analogy. Because in verse 17, he says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What he's saying is that if your faith is of the type that you can hear something, but you don't put it into action. It's just as useless as you see in a friend of yours who is hungry and who is thirsty and who needs some help. And you say, gosh, I sure do hope things turn out better for you. What kind of a friend would we be if we just paid lip service to to someone's needs like that? And what James is saying is that if all you're doing is paying lip service to to this faith that you say you have, then it's useless. He says, but someone will say, picking up in verse 18, he says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. James is saying lip service isn't enough here. He's saying, you just can't say. We'll edit that out later. But you just can't say, this is what I believe. If you ask any therapist, if you ask any counselor, they will say, belief determines behavior. That what you truly believe is what will get fleshed out and what you will act upon. And for me, in my own life, that's kind of scary sometimes. And and if we we take an introspective look at that, that should be kind of a, a startling reminder to those of us who are believers. And James is saying here, like I said, James is saying that lip service isn't enough because, and this point is going to be up on the screen, because true faith starts in the heart, but it travels to the hands. True faith is something you believe in. But it's not true until you flesh it out, until you do something with it. Because I can amass a lot of knowledge. But if it sits there, that's all it is. It's just knowledge, right? And I think the world has seen enough of that. The world has seen enough of really, really smart and really, really intelligent believers that just don't care, right? Because we can say that we, we care for the poor. We can say that we care for widows and orphans. And that, actually, that's in James too. But we can say that we, we care about all those things, but until we're doing it, we're just kind of paying the gospel lip service, and lip service just ain't going to cut it. Picking up in verse 19, James says, You believe that there is one God. Good. He said, Even demons believe that and shudder. He's saying that knowledge by itself isn't enough. And part of this, part of this counterfeit, part of this bootleg faith is that we've gotten coaxed into the belief that the end of Christianity, the end of the Christian walk is to grow in knowledge and in wisdom of of God's word and we've gotten fooled into thinking that that's the end that's certainly part of what God wants us to do as growing and maturing believers he wants us to grow in knowledge and in wisdom but that's not what he intends to to end off with if all you're doing is believing James says demons believe and they shudder Demons know more about God, what James is saying, than we would ever know. Their belief and their understanding is deeper than we could ever know. I mean, these are fallen angels. After all, they've seen the face of God. They know him much better than we probably ever could. And that's just not enough. What James is saying is that there has to be obedience. There has to be some some action behind this. But the thing is, like I said, we've convinced ourselves that belief is enough. And that's why we read the books we read, right? Because we want to grow in knowledge and in wisdom and in understanding. And that's why we listen to the, uh, to the messages that we'll listen to. Some people listen to these messages that we speak in here. Some people listen to, you know, guys like Mark Driscoll. Uh, some people will listen to guys like John Piper and they'll just inundate themselves and they'll just constantly feed and feed and feed on different messages throughout the week. And that's great. I'm not saying not to do that. Some people will buy DVDs and they'll watch different pastors. If you do that, just make sure they're not bootlegged. <laughs> but, but people will, will feed and feed and ravenously consume God's word. And that's a great start. It really is. But what James is saying here is that we need to put it in to practice. He goes on in verse 20, he says, You foolish man. Uh, Again, he's not very nice right here. Uh, But he says, You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? He, he, uh, He says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he... There's a three little word right there. For what he did. When he offered his son Isaac on the altar and for James this is kind of put up or shut up time and he's saying Abraham according to this text wasn't righteous until he put his son Isaac up on the altar until he did something because just like it says true faith starts in the heart but it travels to the hands if you're not doing something with your faith then your faith isn't real and that's a scary, that's a sobering thought. <clears throat> and so he's, uh, he's talking about Abraham and, and he says that it's what he was doing that, that was what brought about righteousness in his life. And then in verse 22, and I love the way he puts this. He says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And and when I was when I, when Chad and I were talking about this and we were kind of trying to determine the best way to represent this, I uh, it was one of those kind of click click aha moments where the light just kind of goes off in your head. And um, because what had been happening is uh, Crosby, if uh, for all of you guys who know Crosby, you know, um, mine hopes our first little daughter, uh, she turned four a few weeks ago. And she was talking, like, the entire past year about, I want a bicycle for my birthday. I want a bicycle for my birthday. It's like, you know, September, and she's, I want a bicycle for my birthday. Okay, kid, you're, you're, you're turning four in May. I want a bicycle for my birthday. It's like we lay her down to sleep. Good night, Mom. Good night, Dad. I want a bicycle for my Okay, we get it. You hammered the point home. Put the stick down. The horse is dead, you know? But so she was talking about how she wanted a bicycle for her birthday. So like any dad, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure that I was buying her a good bike, right? I didn't want to just buy her something that looks cool, but then you actually get it, and you're putting it together, and you get it out of the box, and it's like, this is just a piece of junk. I spent 80 bucks on that. I mean, sure, it's got a nice bell, but the wheels are going to fall off. But uh, so we, what we did is we went to Walmart, and we started, like, taking a look around at different bikes, and she, uh, she saw some that she liked, and she saw some that she was way too small for, and she really liked those. And I was like, mm not my baby. She ain't not get on that. But so, um, so she, she started taking a look at different bicycles. And so actually what we did is we bought her one. I put this one together myself. No, I'm not going to ride it because <laughs> I know what a warranty is, and I know exactly how to avoid it. But so, we bought her a bicycle. As you can see, it's pretty, it's pink, it's Disney princess all over the place. And if you know anything about Crosby, that's kind of her too. But so, she got on a bike a lot like this one. And she just kind of sat down and she put her hands right here. She sat down on it. Again, I'm not going to do that. And she was like, Daddy, look at me, look at me. And she was excited. And for all intents and purposes, she thought that a bicycle was Kind of an awkward looking, pretty seat that you could put your hands up on. And that was it. And I was like, well, well go ahead and pedal it. And then she looked at me like I was trying to, you know, get her to recite the Gettysburg Address. And then I'll, 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 I'll never forget it. I said, go ahead and pedal it. She went, pedal? And if you met Crosby, you know how her little voice will trail up in the end. Pedal, and so I'm like, "Yeah, pedal it. Go ahead. Wear it out, kid." So she's, so she's trying to act out what she thinks pedal is, and so I'm like, "You don't know what it's like. You don't know what pedaling means, right?" So what I did was I put my hand right here, and I put her foot right here, and I started walking through Walmart and doing that little thing. And as awkward as it looks up on stage, believe me, it was much more awkward in Walmart, where I'm like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. Oh, that's a nice dress there, you know, and that sort of thing. Don't mind us, we're just testing the equipment. But so what I was having to do, is I was having to teach her, push with your left foot, push with your right foot, push with your left foot, push with your right foot. And she was just thinking, Daddy can't make up his mind, But what I was trying to teach her is that your left foot works with your right foot because if you've ridden a bicycle, which foot do you pedal with? Do you pedal with the left or the right? Pedal with both. What James is saying here is that if you're living the Christian life, is it about faith or is it about works? He's saying, well, guess what? It's about both. And what he's saying is that When he talks in verse 22, he says, you see, his faith and his actions were working together. What he's saying is that one kind of leads perfectly and naturally into the other. It was designed to do that. It was designed so that when you learn something and when God opens up part of Scripture to you and the light goes off in your head, immediately he gives you an outlet so that you can put that into practice. And then when you put that into practice, some new truth is always going to present itself and you will learn something new. So that as your faith works with your works, your works begins to add to your faith. And so you stop thinking, well, faith works, faith works, and you start thinking, Faith and works working together. Just like Crosby, one of these days, she's not quite there yet, but one of these days Crosby is going to stop thinking left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, and she's going to start thinking pedal. Now in verse 23, he says, and scripture was fulfilled It says, Abraham believed God And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Now, now pay attention to what he's saying here. James is choosing his words very carefully. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's giving an example of what he had just talked about a second ago when he put Isaac up on the altar. See, in James' mind, the two are inextricably linked. The two are one. When he says he believed God... He's getting a mental picture of Abraham putting Isaac up on the altar. He's not just getting a mental picture of Abraham going, oh, well, I've, I've understood this now, and that's great. I can check this box off, and I can go on to the next thing. He is saying that Abraham believed God, and he put his son on the altar. What he's saying is that Abraham's faith started in his heart, but it traveled to his hands. And here's the thing, you're going to see this, if faith doesn't lead to action, it's not true faith. You can read all you want to, and you can study all you want to, and you can listen to different messages online or on the radio, and you can watch DVDs, and you can go to conferences. But if that faith does not lead to action, it's bootleg, it's fake, it's been cooked up someplace else. And it's not real. And I would be remiss if I didn't spend some time talking, you know, in this message about ways that we can put our faith into practice because the, one of the biggest problems is that we will sit and we will listen and we just won't put it into practice. When I say our biggest problem, I'm, I'm saying that's my biggest problem too. Because it's really easy to sit and soak, isn't it? Yeah. Unfortunately, when you sit and soak, you sour. But so I'm going to have some things up, uh, up here on the screen. Ways that you can put your faith into action. Ways that we can actually do these things. The first way is to care for the people of God. And this is what I mean by what I say the people of God. Take a look around here in this room. And there are people here who are hurting. There are people here who, uh, who are having a rough time with their children. There may be people here with their marriages are, are strained or maybe even falling apart. There are people here who... desperately and who genuinely need help and if god has blessed you with faith and if god has blessed you with belief and if god has 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 let you grow up into a mature believer he hasn't done it just so you can say hey all right i'm good to go he's done it so you can come alongside some of these other people and say listen hang in there you're going to get through this You will see the other side of this, and you will be better on the other side of this because of this. Because that is the God that we serve. That he can take the worst situations that we're in, and he can make good come out of it. Because the God that I serve, when the worst thing in history happened, that his son was murdered, the God that I serve, he turned something very ugly and very terrible into something really beautiful. And he said, murder my son, but I'm going to save you with it. So when you come to God and you have a mess in your hands and you go, I don't know if you can ever do anything good with that, don't be surprised when God makes something really awesome out of it. And when you say, but I've got a past, God says, I specialize in working with people with pasts. Welcome among the ranks. (laughs) But well, the first way is you can care for the people of God. Uh, another way is you can care for the church. And what I mean by this is that find a place to serve here. If you've been a believer for more than, I don't know, five minutes, find a place to serve. Find something that you like to do, and I guarantee you I can, I can help you turn that into service to the church. Some people are just naturally like, Some people are just going to be a people person, right? How are you doing this morning? Good to see you. You don't want to run into these people first thing in the morning because you're going to be like, okay, I need coffee. I need some kind of caffeine. I need about five minutes with you not being a, how are you doing? I want to punch somebody in the neck. How are you? Just stand still, you know. But some of you guys are like that, and that's awesome. If you want to stand by the door and be all peppy and cheery and say, Good to see you. That's awesome because you know what you do? You make people who have never been here before feel like they have. And you make people who have been here, who have been here before feel like they're coming coming back home. Some people are 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 not gifted in that, but they really kind of like working with, you know, technology. They really kind of like working in the background stuff. I've got an AV booth that's just screaming your name. And some people are like, don't put me around somebody who's actually going to talk to me. Just let me kind of work with a system and work with a computer. Awesome. Sounds good. I can do that for you. Some of you guys love working with children. God bless your heart. There's a special place in heaven, I'm convinced, for children's ministers. It's quiet. (laughs) Not a lot of rapid movement. It's just peaceful, you know. Hammocks, gentle breeze. <laughs> but some of you guys love hanging out with kids. Awesome. DBC Kids will have a place for you to serve. I guarantee it. Some of you guys like hanging out with students. And let me go ahead and put in a plug here. If you love Jesus and if you can stand students, <laughs> I can plug you into a ministry. I know the guy who kind of who does a lot of stuff with that. I've got an inside track with them. I think I think we can work something something out for you. My point is this, whatever your passion is, whatever you actually like to do, do it and do it to the glory of God. And know that as you're doing that, that is service. I've got this crazy little idea in the back of my head that God never intended for our life to be drudgery and just absolute misery. And when we come and when we show up to church and when we serve, it shouldn't be a good grief. Is it my week to do that again? That's going to hurt a little bit later. But that God intended for service to be something that we take joy in and that we like doing. And I'm just crazy enough to think that God has made us as human beings uniquely enough so that we fit perfectly into a place in the church. So ways that we can uh, we can put our faith into action, we can care for the people of God, we can care for the church, but also we can care for non-believers. What I mean by this is walk across the street. Grill some hamburgers and say, hey, we've got plenty for us and, and for you guys. You want to come on over and have a meal? Break out the board games and be okay if you don't win, okay? <laughs> Just have a good time with your neighbors. Be Jesus with skin on to somebody that maybe doesn't go to church with you and maybe doesn't go to church. Open your home to somebody in your office. Invite somebody over for 4th for of July that's coming up. Just say, hey, we're going we're gonna to have a good time. I don't have a pool. I've got a water hose, and so if you bring your kid, I'll squirt him in the face. <laughs> we'll put it on YouTube and it'll be awesome. You know. <laughs> but actively and strategically look for ways that you can pop that Christian bubble that it's so easy to get into. And it's so easy to to surround yourself with Christian friends and it's so easy to surround yourself with this echo chamber of people who believe exactly like you do. And when when that happens, we forget that Jesus was... <sighs> The teacher who came and he would have lunch with sinners and tax collectors. There'd be prostitutes hanging around. And all of a sudden he would step into a situation and he would change it. And not a person walked away going, well, I just felt like absolute crud the entire time. They would walk away going, I don't know who that man was, but there's something different about him and there's something that I want. If you're, a, uh, if you're a non-believer in here if you're, or if you're a new believer, I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for giving us an hour out of your, out of your week, out of your weekend. And I'm going to tell you that number three, we don't always get that one completely right. And I don't mean we as in this church. I mean we as the church at large. We don't always get this one right. But let me, let, me, let me try to correct some of that. Because this is what we believe. We believe that Jesus really did come. We believe that he really did live a perfect, awesome life. We really believe that he did die. As what we would call a substitute for us. That he loved us so much that when, when danger and death was coming our way that he stepped in front of it and he said, Hey, God, is it okay? Father, is it okay if I step in front of this for them and I take it and they get to live and I die in their place? And so he came and he did that. We believe that he really did come back to life. Because death cannot overcome life. It just can't do it. Just in the same way that light can't be beaten by darkness, death can't overcome life. So we believe that he really did come back. We believe that he's promised the same to us. We believe that he really did change the world. And we believe that he changed us too. And we would love, would love to to let you know how he changed our lives individually so that hopefully you might let him step in and change your life and show you just how awesome life can be with him. Is that right, Church? Amen. This has been kind of a heavy message. It really has. And it's heavy and it's weighing heavily on me too. But this is what I want you to do. This is what this is what's at stake if we can if we can pull together and we can do these things. This is what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine what would happen if we started doing these three things even sort of well, and if we started living out the gospel, if we started putting it into practice, and so it just didn't stop here, but it goes to here, and it comes out here. And if each and every one of us are serving in a way that we really do love to serve, and then if we're caring for people in the church, and if we're saying, your roof's leaking, isn't it? I'm coming by with some, uh, with some plywood and a hammer and, you know, some nails. I'm not really good up on a roof, so we're going to have a good time watching me fall off once or twice, but hopefully by the end of the day, your roof will be patched up. What if we started doing that? What if we started caring for and ministering to the non-believers in our lives who, who don't know how amazing life can be with Jesus? What if we honestly started doing that? Can I tell you? We'd start having a few problems around here. We'd need to build a bigger parking lot, We would need to take out the double doors right there, and we need to replace it with a bay door that we can just roll down so you can back a tractor trailer up into it because that's how many people would be here because love them, hate them, whatever. The one thing that you can't deny about Jesus was that people wanted to come and see him. People wanted to know what was up. The Pharisees hated him, and they they made it to every message that he spoke. (laughs) And and the people who didn't have their act together, people who were sinners, which was all of them, by the way, they loved him because they saw a man who was full of mercy and truth. Imagine what would happen if we as the body of Christ started acting like that because this is something that I believe, that when the body of Christ is functioning like the body of Christ, then that's the closest thing to the actual physical presence of Christ that you can have this side of heaven. When we're actually living like that, and when we say, this is just crazy enough to work, I'm just crazy enough to believe it, call me an idiot, sounds good, but something's working over here, that when we're actually doing that, that it's the next best thing to having Jesus in the room with us. And like I said... Love them or hate them. People came to see what Jesus was about. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen in your, in your office. Imagine what would happen in your homes. The, the, the change would be so dynamic, so earth-shaking, that we would take a step back, we'd scratch our heads, and we'd have to say, there's no way that this happened other than Jesus. Anybody else want that? Anybody else wet, ready to sweat for it? Anybody else ready to put some skin in the game and say, okay, sounds good. Because I'm sick and tired of sitting on the couch and saying, well, there's another church that's closing its doors. I'm sick and tired of amassing all this knowledge and not putting it in to practice. I'm sick and tired of growing in knowledge and in wisdom, but not in practice works and until we get to that level as a church the church at large will stagnate but church I've seen some awesome things happening out of y'all and I want to brag on y'all because I've seen this happening and I've seen people matching up and linking their faith with their actions and putting it into practice one awesome way to do it is this soup kitchen that we're doing this Saturday good for y'all Good for us that that list is full. Show up Saturday and help us help us work in the soup kitchen. What what a what a beautiful picture of of the gospel that we're we're taking time to minister to people who might not ever be able to minister back to us in the same way that Jesus ministered to us in a way that we will never be able to pay him back. You're never more like Christ than when you are serving someone who can't pay you back for it. Good. Good for y'all. Bravo. I'm proud to be a member of Dhamma Bible Church. I'm proud to be a member of a church where I, I honestly see God as working. I honestly see things are changing. Things are working. I'm proud to be a member of a church where people come in and they say, I've got a jacked up home life. <laughs> My wife doesn't like to be in the same room as me. My kids um, don't either. What can I do about this? And I'm glad to be a part of a church that says, well, this is what you can do about this. And you slowly but surely see things changing in their life. I'm glad to be a part of a church that says, we want to impact this community for the sake of the gospel. We want to not do church Like normal, we're sick and tired of going to church. We want to be the church. I'm glad that I'm a part of this church.